the little congregation that I grew up in in the Midwest. There was a fine, upstanding couple in the middle of life. I'll call them Frank and Anna. They were what you might call the epitome of the success of the Protestant work ethic. Frank had a very successful career in insurance. Anna had been a stay-at-home mother and a housewife for many years. She had taken care of the beautiful home that they kept. They had taken very good care of their financial resources, had saved up for a comfortable retirement, and everyone in the community looked up to them as an example of what a good, faithful life could be, what success looked like. They were, you might say, pillars and leaders in the community. And then one day, Anna opened up the bank statements and discovered that their checking account was empty and their savings account had been radically drained. Frank was away on a business trip and she called him and said, what's going on? He said, I don't know, check with the bank. And so she did and got no clear answer, but somebody was drawing on money. A little bit later, she opened up their financial statements from their 401k and their retirement savings and discovered that that was largely gone as well. She got increasingly concerned and also suspicious what was going on. Frank would not give her a clear answer. And then she finally realized they were in big trouble when she opened up the financial statements on her inheritance that she had put away. It was gone as well. It turned out that on these business trips, Frank had been going to the casinos and had been gambling away their money. He had fallen into a pattern of addiction. And as Anna brought this to her priest and to the people who surrounded her, she realized that the life that she had so carefully built and even her husband had been taken from her. And she felt nothing but betrayal and emptiness, uncertain what to do next. What were the limits of her marriage vows? And more importantly, what were the limits of the love that she could show this man she thought she knew but now she realized she knew no longer. What are the limits of love? The limits of divine grace? This is a question that comes up over and over again in today's readings. And the first way it is asked is in the context 
of the early Christian community, a people who had identified themselves as separate and apart for generations and had inherited traditions from the deep past that said they were a chosen people and that God favored them specially. This was something the Judeans in Jerusalem understood, and it was the tradition in which Peter himself had been raised and steeped. And yet he comes back to Jerusalem from Joppa with this striking tale of conversion, of having his eyes opened in a vision. The Judean Christians in Jerusalem basically look at him and say, who are you and what have you done with Peter? Because what he is suggesting to them is nothing short of world-shattering. That somehow the grace they have received and the message of the gospel is not just for God's chosen people, the ancient Israelites, but is for all people everywhere. Which means that what they have been taught from since they were very small is no longer true. That God's love is not just for them, but is for everyone. You can't blame them for being suspicious. It is human nature to cast boundaries around our communities and our tribes and our clans and our families and be suspicious of the outsider. From the contemporary viewpoint, it makes perfect sense, right? For millions of years, our ancestors survived because we assumed that the outsider was hostile. And we took measures to protect ourselves the moment we saw a stranger on the horizon. And we made sure that it took a long time to build up trust before we let anyone, anyone at all, into our communities. But the message that Peter brings back from Joppa is that God is doing something totally new and different. So radical that you will be converted and you will never see the world the same way again. And so to those early Christians who were rooted in their tradition, they have a sense in which everything they thought they knew and understood has been taken away from them. And something profoundly different is beginning. A world and a community that is no longer rooted in suspicion and fear, but is rooted in love. A world in which, rather than assuming that the stranger is an enemy, we look at the stranger as a gift and an opportunity, even if it leaves us vulnerable. That message of this new blowing up of the worldview, if you will, 
comes home to us in a much more personal way in the gospel, where we rewind a little bit, even though we are in the Easter season, because this story does not come from the tales of the resurrection or what happens after the cross, but comes from the night of the Last Supper. And it opens with this sense in which Judas has just left to betray Jesus, and Jesus knows it, and yet the first words out of his mouth are, now, now the Son of Man will be glorified. It's tempting to wonder, Jesus, what have you been smoking? What is Jesus telling us? That in the face of betrayal, the glory, the glory of God in God's Son is revealed. Try to sell that on the market and see how far it gets you. This sense in which betrayal reveals God's love does not conceal it does not defeat it even, but it is there that we see how much God really loves and how we are called to love. Because that is the next step in the story, isn't it? Jesus tells his disciples, I give you a new teaching now, love one another. And sometimes it is helpful to compare that with what Jesus might have said to them. Jesus could have said to them, Judas has just betrayed us. Let's go out and get him. By any standard of the day, that would have been a perfectly normal and human thing to do. Betrayal deserves a consequence. And more than that, it deserves retribution. Jesus could have cultivated their sense of righteous indignation and done what many leaders did in his time, and that's gotten arms and gone after Judas. Or maybe have gone out into the countryside and rabble-roused and brought in a crowd to confront the chief priests. Maybe even the Romans. That's what zealots did. That's what zealots should do, isn't it? Or Jesus could have said, now is the cover of darkness. Judas has betrayed us. Let's slip out of Jerusalem before the authorities catch up with us and taken his movement underground. But instead he says, love one another. A radical message that is counter to every human instinct, everything that we learned on the savannas, over those millions of years about survival, everything we have learned about protecting ourselves through violence if necessary, Jesus says, love one another. What are the limits of God's grace and love for us? Jesus suggests that God's love is unlimited And that is most clear when we are faced with a sense of betrayal, of being let down. God's love is so radical even, it will take on vulnerability, even to death. 
because that is the only way that love will be victorious. Anna, all those years ago, had a terrible choice in front of her. She could have walked away. No one would have blamed her, not even her priest. Her life was ruined by any measure. But she decided to work with her priest and others close to Frank to put together an intervention. And so they confronted Frank together and told him either he got into treatment or they would need to sever ties with him. Frank agreed and went to treatment. And Anna and Frank remained married. Anna went back to work. They had to sell their home to settle all the debts that he owed. Frank ultimately returned from treatment and went back to work himself. They were no longer the pillars of the Protestant work ethic in our little congregation, but they still came because they were still welcome there. And they were more real than they had ever been. Anna had turned over that page to the radical call to love. And Frank knew it and was transformed by it, as was she, as were their friends and their loved ones. Life would never be as comfortable as it was, but it was real. And it was filled with something that was beyond price. A recognition of the power of the love of God and how even in the face of betrayal, it persists. And perhaps when confronted with betrayal, it is victorious and rises from the grave. What is the limits of God's love in your life? And what are the limits of your love in response? This has been a sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing, welcoming community for those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You can reach us by phone at 415-388-1907 or visit us online at OurSaviorMV.org That's O-U-R-S-A-V-I-O-U-R MV for millvalley.org. We wish you God's peace. We hope to greet you in person very soon.